We are in a series called The Helper. If this is your first time with us or uh, maybe the first time in a while, we, um, we just started the year doing a series called The Helper. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, what we've learned to this point is this, that a lot of us get God and a lot of us get Jesus, but a lot of us don't get the Holy Spirit, right? So we kind of, um, kind of stiff arm the Holy Spirit. We try to ignore the Holy Spirit, but you can't do that because he's in the Bible and what we've learned to this point is the Holy Spirit's God, and I don't want to, I don't know about you, I don't want to ignore God, so I want to at least try to understand Him. And so to this point, we've gone very slow. Um, I think it's week six. If you've missed any of them, they're all online. You can, you can catch up on them. And here's why we're going slow, because there's a verse in the Bible that says this. It says that we should build line on line, precept on precept. And what that means is it's important to get the foundation right, right? If you, how many builders, do we have any builders in the house? Yeah, we got a couple, right? So you got to get the foundation and then you start putting up like the framework and then you know, maybe the finishing touches and you start adding the furniture. But you, nobody goes out to a yard and says, hey, I think I'll put my house there and just starts putting the couch down, right? I mean, you got to start somewhere and you start with the foundation. So that's kind of what we've done. We've talked about who the helper is. He's God. He's our friend. Um, what does the helper do? We've talked about all the things that he does in our lives and what does he want us to do? That's kind of where we are right now. What does he want us to do. Um, it, it can feel like we're going really slow, but the reason that we're going this slow is because most of us, no matter where we've been, in church, out of church, um, maybe you grew up Baptist. I grew up like I'm a mutt. I'm a, I, I went Methodist, and then I was Baptist, and then I, my, my wife's Baptist church was mainly Presbyterian, and then at some point I ended up in a crazy church that was Pentecostal. I've been to all of them, right? So like we all got way different backgrounds. So when I say Holy Spirit, we all have very different reactions. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay, good. So the reason we're going slow is because I believe this. Most of us in this room are scared of the Holy Spirit no matter what we've experienced in the past. Most of us are worried about the Holy Spirit because we believe, whether we say it out loud, that the Holy Spirit's going to do to us What's, what happened in, in a scene from one of my favorite movies. And so we're going to show you the scene real quick. Um, you guys take a peek here, and this is what we think the Holy Spirit's going to do to us. So this is what we believe the Holy Spirit will do to us, right? We're pretty sure the Holy Spirit's going to pick us up and shake us like a doll, right, with his mind powers. And that's not what he is at all. We've learned that to this point. I need you to remember what we've learned. We've learned this. The Holy Spirit is a friend. He is not a force. We've learned that the Holy Spirit leads us he does not push us, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't make us become something different than what he made us to be. Um, think, about, think about your life. Think about your gifts. Think about your personality. Um, I, I make no bones about it. I'm an introvert. Um, we got introverts in the room. We got extroverts in the room. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come and, and change you from who you are because who you are is who God made you to be right? I can't ask the introverts to raise their hands because we're introverts, right? But if you're an extrovert, raise your hand. Check me out. I'm an extrovert, right? Well, if you're an extrovert and you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, guess what you'll still be? An extrovert, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't come to make you weird unless you're already weird. And there are people like that, right? I've got a, a picture. Can we just throw that picture up there? Just to, I think this will help you understand what I'm saying. Can you see that okay? Um, this is David Lee. He's back running the video camera right now. And um, I, I think this is what we're afraid the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit's going to take us. 
we're normal people, and suddenly we're doing weird stuff, right? So here's what I know about David. I verified this in the first service just to make absolutely sure. David does not randomly knock on people's houses and go to their bathtubs and pose for pictures like this. He doesn't do that. Actually, he didn't even do this. I don't know if you can tell it or not, but we photoshopped it. Can you tell that? Or is it such a great job you can't tell? He doesn't do that. And the Holy Spirit's not going to grab you, make you do weird stuff, unless you're weird already. And I'll let you make that judgment call about the person you're sitting next to. Peter, in the Bible, before the day of Pentecost, was obnoxious, loud. He was your typical open mouth, insert foot, wasn't he? If you know the Bible, he's always saying things like he would interrupt Jesus, right? He would rebuke Jesus. He would look at Jesus, who's the Son of God, sent to save the world, and he would say, you're not going to die. And so Jesus would look at Peter and say, um, you're Satan, right? Like that's who Peter was. After the day of Pentecost, no surprise that of all the disciples, Peter's the one that's picked to stand up in front of a crowd and preach, and 3,000 people get saved in one day, right? God didn't take the introvert and put him up on the platform. He took Peter. Peter was the same before and after. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit takes who you are and supercharges you. How many of you would like to be supercharged? I would. He takes who you are, whether you're, if you're an introvert, you're an introvert supercharged. If you're an extrovert, extrovert supercharged. If you sing really well, you sing really well supercharged. If you don't sing well, we're not giving you the mic just because you got the Holy Spirit, right? That's the way the helper works. He's not weird. He won't make you weird unless you're already weird. And here's the thing, too. As we're on this journey, it's totally okay to have questions. Totally okay. A lot of what we're teaching for, for a lot of us is new. It's like, I've never heard that before. And so it's, it's okay to be on a journey and have questions. How many of you have gone on family trips? Hands? Family? Because so you get in the car, right? You, you start driving down the road, and depending on your family, the age of your kids, you're backing out of the driveway before they're asking questions. Am I right? And here I just made some, some of the questions I've heard in my car as I've driven. Of course we've heard, are we there yet? Um, in our car, we get this a lot. Mom, did you bring any snacks? Are we going to stop and eat supper? And then, I don't know about your family, but in our car, we get this one a lot. Who let it rip, right? <laughs> Who let that thing out? <laughs> Roll down the window. Questions like that are just a part. It's just a part of the process. And I want you to know this. This is not a church um, where, we, where what I teach, you have to say, man, I'm all on board with that. I'm, man, I'm signing the company, the policy. I'm signing the company line. I'm towing that line. I'm doing everything you say we're doing. Yes, yes, yes. That's not who we are. Who we are is, what does the Bible say? And let's wrestle with that a little bit, right? Let's ask some questions. If you've got questions in this church about these things we're talking about, guess what we have? Perfect place for you to ask questions. It starts with C and ends with unity. Community groups, right? We have community groups. You're like, C and ends with unity. Macaroonity? <laughs> the community groups, right? And so when you go to community groups, we have these things called growth guides, and the leaders work through like a review of the lesson, and then they'll start asking you questions, discussion questions, and, and that's the perfect place to ask questions. Like, I don't understand what Paul said. Well, welcome to my family. My family rarely understands what I say. If you don't understand what I'm saying, cool, man, ask a question. If you ask your community group leader, we so value 
conversation in this church that you could ask a question of your community group leader and they might look at you and go, that's a great question. I was wondering the same thing. Because again, we're all on a journey together. We're all wrestling. We're all learning the scriptures. We're all kind of going, okay, what's this mean? How's this look in our lives? And we're okay with that. So if you're in, if you've got a question, you're in community group, write it down. Leaders, write those questions down. Bring them back to us so we can kind of start dialoguing. So, but this morning, this morning we're taking the big leap, right? This morning, I told you last week, last week we talked about um, old wineskins, and here were the two old wineskins that I said have to die because God's doing something amazing in our church. The testimony that Jennifer shared is just one of like four or five testimonies in our church of, of people being healed, just God doing amazing things. He's pouring out something new in our church. We're not the only church that that happens in. There's churches all over this county that are having that happen, but God's doing something new here, and we learned last week that he pours new wine into new wine skins, right? Because if, you, if they're old, then the old wine skins are brittle. You pour in the wine, and the stuff breaks. And it's all over the ground. It's a total waste. And so we talked last week, what are two old wine skins that God wants to kind of kill in us? And the first one is pride, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's you ever heard, he, like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Like, all the wives are like, I'm married to the old dog, dude. I know it's true, right? I mean, the older we get, have you noticed that? Like the older we get, either age-wise or just in our mind, we're just like, this is the way it is. I'm not open to anything new. I mean, we've got to let God kind of kill this pride in us that says, no, immediately. It's different, no. We've got to let God kill that pride in us. It doesn't mean we have to accept what's new, but we have to at least, I want to be pliable before God. Kill that pride in me. And then we learned last week, James chapter 3 says this, that that thing that flaps inside your mouth, the tongue, that thing the Bible says is set on fire by hell itself. That's one reason why I think about it like this. Pride says, I won't. And the problem with the tongue is, I can't, right? Like, I want to say the right thing. I don't want to get mad at that person who's driving slow in front of me. I don't want to think these thoughts and say these words, but I can't stop. And so, God has this brilliant plan, right, for dealing with pride and the tongue. And in the Bible, it's called tongues. It's this gift that God gives that allows people to speak in unknown and other tongues. What we'll find in the weeks to come, and again, we're on a journey, so we won't, we won't answer all these questions today. But what we'll find as we go along through this journey is this, that there are public gifts that God gives to the church, Right? We were reading about it in Corinthians. If you did um, the, the journey, the journey makers, we walked through the helper. You got text every day about, hey, your devotion's ready. If you did that, you've already read in January about these gifts that God gives to the church. Some of them are like speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, prophecy, healing. There's all kinds of gifts that he gives to the church. It's one of the things that helps us close these gaps that we were doing up here, right? Because all of us don't have the same gift. Well, here's a couple ways that, that tongues are used publicly. And we'll talk about this in, in a couple weeks to come. But publicly, sometimes it, the Bible says in Corinthians that it could be a, a sign to a non-believer. Um, we, were just, we were just chatting between services um, about a time that, you know, like I've, I've read stories, I've heard testimonies where people will actually, they'll be in a foreign country, whatever, and they start, they start praying and they find out they were praying in the tongue of somebody who was not a believer and, and I had, that happened at, at staff at First, I was at First Assembly and there was a woman there from from Brazil who spoke Portuguese and this man spoke in tongues in our service and it was like that's 
weird. Except that after the service, she went up to him and said, that's the first time I've ever heard the gospel. How'd you learn how to speak Portuguese? It's like, he's, he's like, dude, I'm from the South. I don't speak Portuguese, right? I mean, like, God sometimes uses tongues like that. It's blow your mind. It's a public use of tongues as a sign for the unbeliever. He also uses tongues in a service if it's interpreted to encourage the church. Those are public uses of tongues. Are you okay so far? Okay. <laughs> You're saying tongues a lot. It's all good. It's all good. Just grab that thing in your mouth and wag it around. Just take it all, right? Don't, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, so today we're not talking about the public gifts. We'll get to that in the weeks to come. Today I want to talk about this, the third use of the gift of tongues. And it's, it's a prayer language. It's this private, personal prayer language that we have with God through the Holy Spirit. Um, before we even get to a lot of the teaching, let's just cover a couple of questions. One, this is really important. If we're going to talk about a prayer language, if we're going to talk about like praying in another language, praying in tongues, we've got to ask this question. Are we even supposed to, right? Or have, have tongues ceased? Now, depending on what you grew up in, what you've been taught, um, one of the things I love about my family, my, my wife's not here right now, but she was raised in a church that told her flat out, tongues are not for today. So, and that's, I love that because I was raised in a church that said, we just talk in tongues. <laughs> it's like, whatever. It's like, I was the, the chick like a doll person, and she was like, never, right? So when we got married, can you imagine we had a lot of good discussion? Lots of good discussion. And so if you were raised in that environment where, where you were told, man, this is not for today, um, let's just address that right up front. Are we even supposed to speak in tongues? Most churches, most people that will say that tongues are not for today, they will come, it'll come from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter. You hear Moses at weddings. Here's one of the things that you will not hear at a wedding. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, verse, let's start in verse 9. Paul's writing and he says this, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, that's the verse, 9 and 10. That's the verse that you'll hear a lot when people are saying, hey, tongues aren't for today. And what they're saying is this. It all hinges on what is perfection? When, when perfection comes, or your translation might say, but when the perfect has come. So what is perfect? And people that say tongues aren't for today, they'll say this. The Bible is the perfect. Like, we got 66 books in the Bible, Right? And they make up what is called the canon. And so when the canon was closed, when the church said by the leading of God, hey, this is it. This is the Bible. There aren't any other books that should go in here. It's closed. People that say tongues aren't for today will say this. Because we have the perfect canon, then we don't need tongues. They passed away. The problem is, if we keep reading this, here's what he says in verse 12. Now... We see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Here's the problem with saying that the Bible is the perfect. Quick show of hands. How many of you, not yet, wait. How many of you know everything? Nobody put their hands up, but there were some, there were some men that were pretty tempted. I could tell. <laughs> they were like, I'm fighting the urge. We don't know everything. We still know in part. Now, I'll say this. Man, some of, the, some of, these, some of my Baptist brothers, they know even more about this than I do. Not just Baptists. There's people that don't believe in tongues. They know more about this than I do. 
This is a fantastic gift from God, a great tool. We should be all about the Bible, right? But even if we studied this for every day the rest of our lives, at the end of our, if at the end of our lives, if we're laying on a deathbed and somebody walked up to us and said, so you've been studying the Bible your whole life, do you know everything now? What would our answer be? No. Because we've not, we still see in part, we still know in part. We still see through a dim mirror with a poor reflection. But someday we will see face to face, and whose face will we see? Jesus. And when we see Jesus face to face, guess what's going to happen? I don't know if we're instantly going to know everything, but suddenly all the things that we think we're supposed to know and need to know are going to fade away because we see Jesus. I have no doubt at all that this perfection is not referring to the Bible, but it's referring to the day that we see Jesus. And if that's the case, then tongues are absolutely for today. Here's the second question. If tongues are for today, why are they so confusing? The answer is because they're confusing, right? That's the answer. Um, let me break it down a little bit more. Number one, they're confusing because they're a mystery. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says this. Paul's writing, if anyone who speaks in a tongue does not, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with the Spirit. So what I love about this is, it's a mystery. And so if somebody was praying in tongues and we went, wait, we don't understand what you're saying, Paul would say, yeah, like I told you that you wouldn't. It's a mystery. One of the reasons why tongues is confusing is because it's a mystery. But that's not the biggest reason why it's confusing. Here's, the, here's what I think the biggest reason is. Because it's used in the wrong places at the wrong times. Now, we're, we're so guilty of this. Christians, believers, churches, whole denominations. We've been taught to use the gift of tongues in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's what causes the confusion. It's such a big deal that Paul took all of 1 Corinthians 14 to start to clear up with the Corinthian church what should happen privately and what should happen publicly. Last week, when we talked about pride in the tongue. Here's what's going on in the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth is full of pride. They're full of, of struggling with the evils of the tongue. Here's how we know. We talked about this last week. He says, look, you're, everybody's, got a, everybody's got a message. Everybody's got a tongue. Everybody's walking around going, hey, I can speak in tongues. It's fantastic. All this pride. But what's going on behind the scenes is, he said in chapter 5, some of you, there's a man who's actually sleeping with the stepmom. Ooh, weird, right? He says, another chapter, and you're suing one another. You're taking one another to court. Another chapter, chapter 3, says there's division in the church. So what we know right away is like, here's a church, right? And they're all about the gifts, but there's no fruit of the Spirit. And that's what's confusing. When we're all about the gifts and we have none of the fruit, that's what's confusing. So why are tongues confusing for people? Because they've been watching churches act like that. They've been watching churches take things that are private and make them public. Um, think about 1 Corinthians 14 like this. Moms, you ever taken your family to an, a friend's house for dinner and you're in the car just before you get out and go into their house? And what do you tell your kids? Behave in there. Listen, you say stuff like this. This might not be what you say in your family, but in my family, we say things like this. Listen, at our house, when we have pancakes, and we pass around the maple syrup, and the last person that uses that maple syrup, you see that drip of syrup coming off? At our house, you lick it. 
But in this house, there'll be no licking of the drip of maple syrup, right? This stuff we say. Now, at our house, if you got gas, you might have to let that thing rip. At the, you might not get it from the table. But in this house, hold it, buddy. Right? These are what we say because there's some things that are okay in private, but they're not okay in public. In 1 Corinthians 14, this is Paul sitting in a car with a church at Corinth saying, Listen, there's something it's okay to do at home, but when you come into the church, uh, you're going to hold it, right? That's what he's saying. When we take things private and go public, it causes problems like people at Walmart. Have you seen that? Like, it's gotten so bad, I couldn't even bring pictures. I, I wanted to bring tons of pictures of people of Walmart, and I, I couldn't even get one because it's just like, oh, I won't make you throw up. It's terrible. So just go home and Google it and throw up in your own house, right? Do it privately, right? Not publicly. But, I mean, like that's what happens. People, people are, are dressing like what you would walk around your house in, although even that, I wish they wouldn't do that. But, and then they go to Walmart and shop in that. And so people take pictures and they post it on peopleofwalmart.com, and it's just like it's just grown into this amazing thing, Right? Hours and hours of endless entertainment. All because people are taking what's private and making it public. That's not what God wants. Let me give you your big idea today. Big idea is the thing at the top of your sheet. If you've got a note sheet, um, just allows you to, if you remember this and you forget everything else I said, you'll be good. Okay, here's your big idea today. When it comes to the gift of tongues, in public, be careful. In private, be carefree. In public, be careful. In private, be carefree. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 19. Paul wrote this. In the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, publicly, we don't want to confuse people, right? We don't want to say things that would just confuse people. So Paul says, look, man, in, in public... In the church, just five words that people can understand is better than 10,000 words that they can't. But the verse right before that, he said this, But I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament. One third more than me and you, right? He says, I'm, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he's like, in private, man, just go to town. Just have at it. Pray all you want. Be carefree with the gift. But in public, be careful. What I believe is this, that most of us that struggle with this gift, we struggle with this gift because we've seen weird stuff publicly that should have been private. I have a great responsibility to not confuse people with a gift. Uh, let me give you a couple of um, benefits. You can just jot these down on your note sheet. How many of you have Wi-Fi? Um, I threw, I threw Windstream under the bus in the first service. I'm going to throw them under the bus again and drive over them and back up over them again. I've got Windstream and it's just horrible. Um, I, I hope somebody from Windstream watches this video and gives me better service. It's terrible. Like, I feel like I'm always resetting the router. Um, you know, like if I'm on at my computer and the kids go home from school and just get on their iPods, it's like everything just grinds to a halt. It's terrible. Not reliable at all. Um, I believe this, that the benefit of a prayer language is better than the most reliable 
Wi-Fi there is. Here's just a few of the benefits. Um, six. One, and you can just jot down these verses, okay? So you can go back and study them again. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says that it builds us up. 1 Corinthians 14.4. Paul said this, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, and he who prophesies edifies the church. Again, what you'll see if you go home and read 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul just kind of goes back and forth. I think it almost works out five to five. He kind of works through this like privately, woo, publicly, whoa, right? Privately, woo, yeah, edify yourself, build yourself up. Publicly, whoa, now don't want to confuse, we want to build the church up. And so that's where Paul's at. Um, Robert Morris, he wrote a book called The God I Never Knew. It's a book that we've given to every church family. Everyone that's a member here, your family has a copy of that book. Um, it's a great book, and in the story, he tells this story. Back when he was preaching, he was like not sure at all about this kind of stuff. And so he got asked to go to a, a huge Southern Baptist church and preach a revival. And so he's, he's pumped because it's like a big name. I'd be like, I'm not a big Baptist name guy, but I'm going to say like Johnny Hunt's church. That's a big deal, right? So you get invited to go to Johnny Hunt's church and preach. And like, are you kidding me? I can go to his church. That's fantastic. So he goes, he's hanging out, he's preaching a revival. While he's preaching a revival, as like your Baptist person who doesn't believe in any of this stuff at all, finds out that the pastor of this huge Baptist church prays in tongues in his office every morning. And Robert Morris, the way he tells it, he's like, it just blew my mind. Like, I didn't even know what to do with that because I didn't know if that stuff was even real. And to find out that this huge pastor of this huge church in the Southern Baptist Convention was praying in tongues every day just blew his mind. So he finally worked up enough courage to ask the pastor, like, I heard that you pray in tongues every morning in your office. And the pastor was like, yeah, I do. So then he's like, work up more nerves. Like, why would you do that? And he said, here's what the pastor said to him. Like, he's expecting some huge theological, like, answer. He just said, well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that when I pray in tongues, it builds me up. And I don't know about you, but I need all the building up I can get. That's a great answer. I don't know about you, but I know for me, man, I need all the building up I can get. That's one of the benefits of praying in a prayer language. Here's the second one. Jude 20 says it strengthens our faith. Jude 20 says to build yourself up in the faith, always praying in the Spirit. It builds us up in our faith. One reason is because it, it takes faith to trust God with this gift, doesn't it? Because it's different. Because it's weird. Because it doesn't feel natural sometimes. And so to, to trust God to work through us in this way takes faith. Um, here's number three. It helps us pray when we don't know what to pray. Romans 8, 26. How many of you have ever prayed and you got done praying? You didn't know what else to pray, but you still wanted to pray some more. You ever had that happen? Like the burden in your heart is just like, I'm trying to think times in my life. I think when, when, um, when my mom and my, my brother died, that was one of those times. Like you're just, you just you don't know even the words to say, but your heart is just like, I can't, I can't stop praying. Uh, Romans 8 talks about that exact time. Romans 8, 26 says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That's a great benefit to praying in a prayer language, to praying in the Spirit, is that he's praying through us when we don't even know what to pray Here's the fourth one. It's the very next verse. 
He says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, verse 27, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Man, that says to me, when I'm praying in a prayer language, I can have total confidence that the Spirit of God is praying through me, is praying the exact will of God for that situation. Again, let me ask you this question. Think about all the times that you prayed for somebody and you weren't really sure what to pray for them because you weren't really sure what God's will was in that situation. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Best one I can come up with. Your girlfriend comes to you and says, I'm going to marry that guy. And you're like, oh, crap. Not the man for you. I'm not sure that's what God wants for you. Can't tell her that, can you? Because you just lost a friend, right? So you go to the Lord in prayer about that. You're like, God, I'm not, maybe you're working behind the scenes. I'm not sure what your will is. That would be the perfect situation to have a prayer language because this says we know that the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Absolutely, we would know in that situation. He's praying through us God's will. Fifth one, praying in the Spirit protects us by completing our armor. Um, how many of you were raised in church just by a show of hands? Just curious, okay. Um, so you've heard of flannel boards. Flannel boards, aren't those fun? Yeah. You've seen this um, taught with flannel boards and flannel graph, all that kind of stuff. Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. You probably saw somebody, you know, put the helmet and then the breastplate and then like the sword and your shield of faith. You've seen all that in the, the shoes, right? Some really nice high, high dollar Nikes right down low. The last piece, the last piece of the armor is in verse 18. After we've taken up all the armor of God, Paul writes this. And then pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Praying in the Spirit completes the armor of God in us. What a great benefit that is. Six. We've mentioned James 3.16. It says that our tongues are set on fire by hell, hell itself. Romans 6.13 calls us to offer the parts of our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Listen to this. It says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Um, I don't want to sound like an old pastor, but like, can you imagine how the church would be revolutionized if just the church got that last line? I mean, forget tongues, right? If the church just suddenly got hold of that truth, offer the parts of your body as instruments of righteousness. Can you imagine what the church would look like? It would change everything. So the sixth benefit is this. It allows me to offer the most vile part of my body to God for him to use for righteousness. I love that. In one moment, I can say to God, kill my pride and purify my tongue. And offer to him my tongue to use as an instrument of righteousness. Pray through me, God. Purify my tongue. I love that. So we can start wrapping this up. Let me, let me say this. Inevitably, this is the part of the sermon where people start to feel pressure, right? Like, oh God, what's going to happen now? And they start to ask questions like this. Maybe you're thinking this question right now. Do I have to pray in a prayer language? As a believer, as a child of God, as someone who loves Jesus with all my heart, do I have to pray in a prayer language? And the obvious 
answer is no. You don't. You don't have to pray in the prayer language. But I would beg that that question is wrong. I think the question should be, why would I not want to pray in a prayer language? Why would I not want better Wi-Fi, right? Why would I be content with Windstream cutting out every day if I could have another alternative? And if you know that alternative, let me know because I'll switch. I think that over time what happened was we've seen so much public abuse of a private gift that we've just kind of stiff-armed the whole thing. Myself included, right? Just kind of, I don't want to mess with that. And, and if I'm honest with you, the easiest solution to this is I'm out. Because to, to, to deal with this, to figure out, God, what do you want from me in this area is, is a little bit messy. It's going to require that you spend time with Jesus. It doesn't require that I put my hands on you and pray that you can say, spot on my shoes, spot on my shoe, Honda Accord, right? Doesn't pray, that's, just, that's not what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to do that in us. I've been a part of so much stuff. I've been a part of services where people prayed for me and leaned in to see if they could hear me. Um, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but even in our own denomination, we're assumers of God. We, we have this phrase, the evidence of of speaking in tongues. And even that word evidence, I hate that word. Like, I don't want, I'm not a lawyer, right? Like, we're talking about a relationship. We're talking about a gift from God to his church that could do all the benefits that we just talked about. That's not evidence. That's passion, right? I mean, that would be like you saying to me, well, you know, you don't really love your wife if you don't have a special little pet language for one another. If you don't call her smoopsy-poo, you don't really love your wife. Well, dude, I ain't going to call her smoopsy-poo because she'll slap me, right? So sometimes I think we, 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 what Robert Morris says in his book is this, we've made tongues a demand rather than a desire. It's huge. It's huge. And so what I want you to know here at this church, we're not demanding anything of you we're not making you sign a sheet of paper that says i believe in the prayer language hallelujah right we're not doing that we're not making we're not demanding that of you what we want to do is open a conversation begin a journey and just start to say is it possible that we could open our arms to this instead of stiff arming the holy spirit are you a better christian if you do or don't let me ask this question. Anybody play football in high school? Anybody? Okay. I, I, I didn't. Can you play football without all the equipment? Can you? Yes. You can absolutely play football without all the equipment. And depending on skill, um, I'll just kind of pick on you, Chase, because you're large, larger than me. Um, depending on your skill, Chase could probably play football without all the equipment, and I could have all the equipment, and he's probably a better football player than I am, right? So I don't want you to hear me saying this to you. You're not really a Christian if you don't fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in there, and people have all kinds of things to put in the blank. It's just that right now we're talking about tongues. You could play all day long without all the equipment. You can, you can serve Jesus all your life without all the armor of God. 
But here's the reality. Even though I'm probably nowhere near as good as Chase would be, if I've got all the equipment on, I mean, even like down to the butt pad, right, and the really weird hip things that stick out, if I've got all that on, more than likely I'm withstanding the hits. But if he's got no equipment, even if he's a better football player than I am, it just takes one really good shot and he's out. That's the difference, isn't it? It's not that you have to. It's not that we would make you. It's not that anybody's going to demand that you do. It's that God, in all of his love and wisdom and kindness, has provided to the church this amazing piece of equipment that actually completes the equipment that we have. It completes the armor. It prepares us to go into battle. Why would we run the risk of injury by not using every piece that's at our disposal? Just like that pastor told Robert Morris, man, I need all the building up I can get. Why would we not do that? Here's how we're going to end this morning. I've got one more passage of Scripture to read to you. Perfect Scripture for where we are right now. Um, and Lizzie's going to come. Lizzie's um, going to close our service. She and her sister Megan, they're going to sing for us. Um, and I'll explain to you why they're singing what they're singing and, and why they're singing it today and all that stuff, just how it's going to tie the whole, the whole service together. But as they're coming, let me explain this to you. Um, this is not the first time nor the last time that we'll talk about this, okay? Uh, we were talking in between services, and, and this came up. So, like, okay, if I, if I totally bought into, yes, this is from God, then, then what now? That's, that's next week, okay? There's just too much to unpack here because if we keep talking now, who's going to sleep? Yeah, the person who's already asleep, right? So today we're wrapping this up, okay? What I want you to do is take the rest of the service while Lizzie sings, and I want, to take, I want you to take the rest of this week in your, in your own time with God. In your time in community group, I want you to start to just, just wrestle with this question. If God has given us this gift, why would I not want it? Why would I not desire it? Why would I not want to play with every piece of equipment at my disposal? I've asked Lizzie to come and sing because, well, first of all, you're awesome. You already knew that. Lizzie is um, going into surgery Tuesday. She's going to have... Um, were you chuckling? Because <laughs> that's funny. She's going to go into surgery Tuesday. Um, it's a surgery related to her spina bifida. We talked about this last week. Um, a lot of you have already signed up to fast and pray beginning tomorrow for her family. And um, hey, Megan, this is her sister, Megan. Um, just to pray and fast for them. But here's what I found out. Last Monday, uh, this past Monday at Park Ridge, they have this thing called Time to Shine. It's chance for students to get up and kind of use their talents to glorify God. And so my sister, Laura, who teaches there at school, she's like, when, when, I, when, when I went to get Sydney, she said, man, you should have heard this morning. I said, what happened? She said, Lizzie sang at Time to Shine, which you've done that before. So what's amazing about this is the song that she's chosen to sing is a Carrie Job song called um, I Am Not Alone. And, and it's, it's just, when you hear the words and you think about where she's going on Tuesday, the surgery that she's facing, um, man, this is when, this is what I want you to remember about today. I know we spent the whole message talking about tongues, but I want you to hear this. The reason why we have the Holy Spirit, the number one reason why we have the Holy Spirit is because his job is to point us to Jesus, right? 
It's not to make us flap our tongues and be weird and like jump on lights and stuff like that. It's so that we can point people to Jesus and he can point us to Jesus. Romans 8.15 says this. It says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Now, I'm just going to put myself in your shoes. When I was Methodist, Baptist, whatever, when I was this church mutt and I heard teaching like this, uh, some people were like, that's fantastic. But I was like, I'm going to wet my pants. I haven't said it in a long time. I had to go ahead and bring it back. It just scared the snot out of me. It made me all like all on the inside, right? And, and I'm going to give you this. Some of you could be sitting here going, this is weird. This is different. I totally understand that. But listen, the gift of God through the Holy Spirit was not given to you to lead you into fear, but rather into sonship. He leads us to a family. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And, and Lizzie's song, there couldn't be a better picture of what we've just talked about today. The last couple of weeks we've talked about being in fires and trusting God through fires. Today we're talking about this amazing gift that God gives us in a prayer language that builds our faith up so that we're stronger when we face trials. And now Lizzie's going to stand here and she could sing. She could be going into, she could be going into Tuesday just scared out of her mind. And she said, man, I want, I want to stand. I want to, I want to sing in front of people what God's doing in me. And I'm not alone. You're not alone. I want you to get that today. I want you to walk out of here saying this. I might never understand a mystery like tongues, and I don't think we ever totally will, but I get this much. The Spirit of God is in me, and I am not alone because He takes me to God. He calls me Son. I am His child. And as she sings that, I'm going to ask you just to reflect on what we've talked about this morning. Uh, I'm not going to end the service having you stand up so we can put our hands on you and pray that you speak in tongues. That's not where we're going today. Where we're going today is right now while Lizzie sings, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to let these words just sink into you. Man, the Holy Spirit is in us to convince us that we can face anything at any time and know that we're not alone.